diets tell us to ignore how exercise makes us feel and that there's this obligation to have to do it like so many times per week or for so long or these really rigid, you know, obligations um, that we have to engage in exercise in a certain way. Um, and as Hayes practitioners, that's one thing we have to be careful of is that we're not recommending those same things. So we're really exploring that relationship to exercise. I'm Kristen Dobniak, holistic nutritionist and mama of two, and this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, a podcast about ditching the diet dogma, embracing intuitive eating, real food, and living healthy, happy, and whole. Please note the information and opinions on this podcast are intended for information and inspiration only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. Now, on to the show. Hey friends, Kristen here with the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, and I am so excited to have another guest on with me today. Megan Medrano, RDLD, is a registered dietitian and nutrition therapist based out of Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, providing nutrition therapy for those with eating disorders, disordered eating, and sports nutrition concerns, both locally and all over the country. She works through a health at every size and intuitive eating lens to support her clients in achieving an enjoyable and peaceful relationship with food. Megan frequently works with athletes of all shapes and sizes to help learn how to trust their bodies and cultivate a more accepting body image. So I have been following Megan for some time now, and as an athlete myself, or at least one who considers themselves an athlete, um, who has recovered from disordered eating, I appreciate her balanced, body-inclusive, and intuitive approach to sports nutrition especially. So knowing many of my listeners are also athletes or simply active women who desire to fuel their bodies well during and around exercise, but are unsure of how to do that in a balanced way or have fears of exercising due to their body size, I knew I had to have Megan on the podcast to chat with us about a balanced approach to sports nutrition fueling, a body positive approach to exercise, and how to make peace with our body size so we can be the best athletes and active women we can be. So I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation. So hi, Megan. Thank you again for being so willing to chat with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So um, I already gave your introduction, but I would like to hear from you. Um, have you tell my listeners who don't know you who you are and your story of how you came to do what you do? Yeah. So like you said, my name is Megan. Um, I'm a dietitian based out of Lexington, Kentucky, um, and I work in my private practice called Runhole Nutrition. So I'm based out of Lexington, but work with clients all over the country, which is super, super nice that I'm able to do that. Um, do some nutrition coaching for those who need it just to heal their relationship with food and exercise. Um, so my private practice um, itself is still pretty young. I just started earlier this past year, about in June, I guess, so a little over um, half a year. Um, but really just how I came to do this was going through my dietetic training. Um, a lot of the things I was taught, I just didn't really resonate with. And I know we'll probably dive into this more a little bit um, throughout our conversation. But one of the things that really stood out to me in my training was that the Traditional dietetics model is really based upon the idea that the behaviors that we prescribe to those in larger bodies 
um, is basically what we diagnose as eating disorders and those in smaller bodies. And that's just not right. You know, to prescribe different behaviors to different individuals in different body sizes um, when we know body size isn't a determinant of health. So just going through my training, that was something that really just stood out to me, just kind of felt kind of icky. Um, and I knew that I could bring health at every size into a lot of different areas of dietetics. Um, through my dietetic internship, I was in the clinical inpatient setting, which I absolutely loved. Um, I really loved being in that setting, which is totally different than what I do now, um, which is kind of funny that I liked, you know, both those two extremes. But just being into that, you know, really learned about like medical nutrition therapy, actually like getting to the root um, of nutrition related problems rather than just prescribing weight loss. Um, so that was one of the things that in my training was kind of contradictory. Like on one side, we'd really focus on weight loss and then the other side, we'd really get to the root. And that's really one of, what I wanted to do was get to the root, um, and help people heal their, heal their relationship with food. So came back to the outpatient side and I love it. I love that so much. I know when I first started realizing that those things that, you know, were recommended because I did go through, um, I didn't end up going to, um, through my RD program, but I did, um, go through the, the whole nutrition program. Um, and all of those recommendations that we, we tend to give, or they recommend that, you know, diet dietitians give are those that are disordered for people who are on, you know, that lower weight spectrum and, Health at every size has been something that has been so incredible in in learning about in my own training um, and my own personal education. So I think it's it's fascinating, especially um, and important. It's really important. It's really important that we treat everyone the same, no matter what their body size is, and that everyone get the same amount of care from dietitians, from health professionals, um, no matter what their size is. Um, mm -hmm. So. I think that's so important and it's so important what you're doing and I love it. And I love hearing it from that dietetics standpoint as well, um, from a dietitian, from a registered dietitian, because I think that was one of the things um, I decided not to go the dietetics route. I am, I stuck with sports nutrition actually was what I, what I ended up um, pursuing was sports nutrition. And then I went a totally different way um, <laughs> was I was recovering from my eating disorder at the time. And I, there was such a huge discrepancy in things for myself. So it's, it's really wonderful to see, um, I think the profession coming around a little bit, at least slowly mm -hmm. to a more, you know, health at every size approach, which I love. Yeah. So yeah. I want and to, Oh, sorry. No, I'm gonna no go talk. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I wanted to start by talking a little, digging more into the sports nutrition side of things and talking about just generally the importance of exercise and how we can incorporate exercise into our lives, but in a balanced body positive approach especially for women who find exercise triggering because they are in bigger bodies or they aren't comfortable with the bodies they're in. I know this is a struggle for so many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I always think of when I talk about exercise is that I think a lot of times people will hear that I work a lot with athletes or work with active individuals and think that I'm just like pushing exercise on people. And that's absolutely not what I'm doing. You know, I work with people who are naturally kind of inclined to that. Um, but the first thing I always do is start exploring that relationship to exercise. So I think that's the first thing 
that we need to do is really get to the root. And, you know, that's kind of what I was saying. And just what we were talking about before is that we want to get to the root of things. Um, and that's one thing that like I, I do enjoy about being a dietitian is that, you know, even though there's that focus on weight, a lot of times as a dietitian, you know, we're really taught to get to the root of the problem. So in terms of exercise, we got to get to the root of what feels good about it, what doesn't feel good about it. Um, and really exploring that relationship um, to exercise. Because if we think about the diet mentality and what diets tell us, is that diets tell us to ignore how exercise makes us feel and that there's this obligation to have to do it like so many times per week or for so long or these really rigid you know, obligations um, that we have to engage in exercise in a certain way. Um, and as Hayes practitioners, that's one thing we have to be careful of, that we're not recommending those same things. So we're really exploring that relationship to exercise. Um, so just some of the things I would ask my clients, if they're here in my office with me, would just be, you know, what does the word exercise mean to you? So what, just hearing that word, what comes up for you? Does any uncomfortable feelings come up? Does it feel good? Does that word feel kind of, you know, rooted in diet culture? Maybe something like movement might feel a little bit better. Um, even asking like, what was exercise or movement like for you growing up? What beliefs do you have that maybe you've internalized from diet culture? So are these behaviors that you're wanting to engage in, are they really based on your values or are they based on what diet culture has told you you're supposed to believe about exercise? Um, also like, are those beliefs serving you? Are they actually helping to improve your life? Um, what purpose is it serving? Are you doing it out of respect for your body or out of obligation? Um, is it a way to enhance the mind body connection? So you're in connection with your body rather than tuning out. Cause that's one thing I see really commonly is that people come to me saying exercise is their stress relief, which yes, it can be. And that's okay. The problem is when it's your only method of stress relief or you're really relying on it to always feel stress relief. Um, you're almost viewing exercise like as a form of therapy, which it can be a stress relief, but it shouldn't be your only form of stress relief. So once we know the answers to all those questions, you know, that's where we can really start to determine what role we want movement to play in our lives. And this is where we can set those really like value values based intentions. And I, I really like that word instead of goals, just because goals feel kind of like diety to me. Like we're setting these goals that maybe aren't necessarily connected with ourselves. They're more just like things that, you know, we feel like we're supposed to do. Whereas values based intentions are really based on your values, based on what is actually truly best for you. And that's really what we have to explore, especially when people come in feeling, you know, triggered because they're in a different size body. We got to find these environments and these values that are really going to support that in a way that's best for that person. So that's where, you know, working one-on-one -on -one with someone I think is so important to explore that just because diet culture is so pervasive and so easily comes in with that. I even see, you know, clients will talk about that, how we feel like we're on this right path, really setting goals. And then there might be some small areas where diet culture comes in. And I love doing that with clients is just, you know, asking those questions like, is this you or is this diet culture? And sometimes we'll be like, wow, that is diet culture. Didn't really notice that came in. So um, I think it's really just important to ask all those questions to really decide what's going to be best for you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Values-based intentions. I, mm -hmm. I love that so much because I think that it is so important to reframe the way we think about everything from that diet mindset and especially exercise. Oh, I love mm -hmm. that so much. So valuable. Even, even just starting to explore those questions and our intentions behind exercise. I know that was something that took me personally a really long time. Like uh, I know that um, just a little personal anecdote, I think I shared a little bit about this and um, I shared my story on an earlier podcast. Um, 
but I've been a runner for a long time since I was in my teens um, and I really loved running and then running all of a sudden turned into something that was not good for me anymore when I was in the depths of, of my disordered eating um, and so I stopped running altogether which was absolutely necessary for me for a period of time um, actually it was a period of years it took me years until one day I was in you know and I was in a much better place and I was like you know what I really want to go for a run. And I went for a run and I started slowly and I really had to come to terms with, am I running because I feel like I should? Am I running because Mm. it's to reach this goal, so to speak? And I came to the point where I was like, no, I'm actually running because I love running. And I started doing little things like um, in the wintertime. I I miss running so much because I live in New England and it gets cold in the (laughs) wintertime. And I'll still run when it's – I ran this morning. It's not too cold out. Um, But I missed running so much. But running on the treadmill was something that felt very – I don't know, diet is the best, not the best way to put it, but it did. It, it felt connected mm-hmm. to that disordered part of me. And so I really had to evaluate. I miss running. I want to run. But can I do this in a way that actually feels good and feels balanced? And so for a while, I was just like, no, I can't. So I stopped mm-hmm. running again. And it was okay. It felt good. And then I really wanted to. And so I was like, maybe I'll go on the treadmill and I will just turn the treadmill on, make sure it's on and it's moving and put my sweatshirt over the anything that tracks like you know how many miles I'm going or how mm-hmm. fast I'm going and I'm just going to run in a way that feels good and that's what I've been doing ever since and it was totally just changing my mindset around I am running because it feels good because it feels good to move my body um, and this is a way of movement that just that really resonates with me and I you know I mix in other um, other things that feel good for me and for my body and I I encourage you know the the women that I work with too is to find something that really feels good but really I think the most important thing is to exactly what you said and assess why are we doing this and what is our Mm -hmm. intention intention behind it and yeah I just wanted to I didn't want to share their personal anecdotes I feel like that that really resonated with me and really having to evaluate that for for myself and I think that Mm -hmm. um, that's so important so thank you for that that's a great example I love that (laughs) I really loved a post you did on Instagram. I want to say it was a few weeks ago now where you tackled the myth that we should eat less and exercise more, which I think is so pervasive in diet culture, but just in culture in general. Um, We hear this in our society that like that's the way to be healthy. We just eat less and exercise more. So can you share more about why this isn't a healthy, sustainable approach? Yeah, of course. So I think first, again, this is getting to the root of that, is that as a society, we think of things on a surface level. So we got to get to the root of what we're actually trying to get out of that. So when people come to me saying, you know, this is something that they're supposed to do, or just kind of in our culture, we view this eating less and exercising more as like a thing everybody's supposed to do. My first question is, what are we hoping to get out of it? So that's the first thing we need to clarify. And I find surprisingly, when I ask that question, a lot of people don't know that they'll just kind of have this look on their face. It's like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? It's like, well, why are you supposed to do that? And most of them can't identify that. And I think that is the problem right there in and of itself is that we don't know why we're supposed to do it. It's not connected to our bodies in any way. It's just something we're told to do. So that's the first thing. And that's the biggest answer I find is that people just don't really have an answer. (laughs) Um, And then the second two things that I tend to get 
Um, some people will say, well, isn't this what we're supposed to do for health? And I think that's, you know, kind of what you mentioned is people think this is a healthy approach. Um, so that's where right there I say, okay, let's talk about health because my job isn't so much to convince someone that they're wrong or that they should think in a certain way. It's just off. It's just really to offer this alternative approach. So it's just to give this alternative way of thinking so that they may consider things in a different lens and see what sticks, see what feels really good to them based on their values. So again, everything is going back to their values and what is actually best for them. Um, so in terms of health, we may start talking about, okay, like what is health for you? And that's a really broad question. That can be, you know, your mental health, that can be your financial health, that could be your social health, that could be your physical health. There's all kinds of things that make up our health. So health is a super multidimensional thing. And when we boil it down to these two things, we're really missing out on every single other thing that impacts our health. So when we're talking about health, we have to address social determinants, social determinants of health. So things like access to healthcare, internalized stigma and bias. Um, and if we're leaving those things out of the conversation, we're not doing this health conversation justice. You know, when we think of, you know, those lifestyle factors like the eating less and exercising more, those make up such a small percentage of our health. We know there's other things that tend to have a bigger impact on our total health as a whole. Um, so just boiling it down to two small things is really not doing that whole conversation justice. So that's the first thing I dive into with people and kind of seeing, you know, from their own perspective and their own unique health, um, how these things fit in and maybe starting to challenge some of those things. And again, you know, kind of going back to what we've talked about before is asking why, you know, how does your body feel when you eat less? How does it feel when you exercise more? Is that something that's truly, truly good for your body and feels good for it? Um, and then this other side that people say is that that will lead to weight loss. So those are kind of the, the three big answers is one is basically no answer. Two is health. And then three is weight loss. Um, so with weight loss, that's where from a Hayes perspective, I talk about weight a lot. Um, I think that's a myth that Hayes practitioners just like run from any conversation about weight. Um, but I think it's important for us to talk about it just to like reframe it in a new way. Um, so whenever someone says, you know, they want to lose weight or eating less and exercising more to lose weight, I'll always just ask the question, what are you hoping to get from losing weight? So it'd be really easy for me just to say, okay, you want to lose weight? Here's X, Y, Z, what you can do. But I know again, that's not getting to the root. So what do you actually hope to get from losing weight? Is it to be more attractive? Is it, um, aesthetic reasons? Is it to win approval of others? Is it tied with your definition of health? Is it to gain attention? Is it to feel more confident in your skin? All kinds of different reasons. Um, and what I tend to find most of the time, whether it's, you know, answers to any of those questions is that a person just wants to feel better about themselves. So it's typically an issue more of self-confidence or self-esteem or just how someone views themselves in their body. And that's what we need to target. You know, we don't need to try and do all these various interventions to lose weight because what we know is that pursuing intentional weight loss isn't a guarantee of improved body image. Um, I talk about this a lot, how our body image is a subjective thing. So it's not based on this objective body size that if we lose weight, we're automatically going to have an improvement in our body image. Um, I think a lot of people will just because we live in a fat phobic culture that really supports that. Um, but I also don't think it's a guarantee, you know, I think those issues can still remain. So that's where I always try and say, okay, if I helped you to lose weight, that's an option that we can take, not as a Hayes practitioner, I'm not going to do that, but saying that's an option. I can refer you to someone that you, if you want to take, 
Um, but my approach towards that is that we're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. We're just trying yes, to cover it up. Yeah. We're not actually getting to the root. And realistically, you're going to come back here in six months and say, I don't feel much better about myself. Or maybe I lost weight, but then I started to gain it all back because studies show that weight loss, long-term weight loss is not possible for the majority of people when they do it in an intentional way. So um, that's always an option that we can take. But what I always try and reframe my clients is saying, let's get to the root of this. Let's really try and figure out, you know, what is going on here so that we can actually heal this body image struggles that you're dealing with and not try and cover it up with some diet culture things that diet culture tries to sell us. Cause realistically you're just going to be back here six months, not feeling much better. Oh, that is awesome. Oh my gosh. I have nothing to say, but thank you so much for that. Thank you for, yeah. for clearing that out, that up and just, um, sharing that wisdom because I, I agree 150% with all of that. (laughs) Um, So, so then for the the women that um, are listening, who, who want to live a more active life. So for the purpose of their health, because, you know, studies have proven that exercise is good for us when we're doing it in a healthy, balanced way. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach this idea of fueling for living an active life when it comes to exercising, working out, um, sort of, you know, being an athlete aside, just the every woman, um, while also eating intuitively. So listening to our bodies, so making sure we're fueling well for living an active life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my answer to this is really very different for everyone. So mm-hmm. this is where I really highly encourage working with a dietitian, working with an eat, intuitive eating expert. Um, just because I think when you're trying to do this on your own, I don't know if you've noticed this. I definitely have on like social media, a lot of people claiming to be intuitive eating experts or oh, yes. using intuitive eating in their marketing schemes, but it's really just a diet. Um, and it's just because being on a diet isn't cool anymore, I guess. And people are trying to use those buzzwords, use intuitive eating to sell their diet program. So that is where if you're you know, really struggling with this, I would really recommend working with someone just to kind of, you know, learn, learn more about yourself, but also just having that expert in the room can really help you identify various things about yourself you might not have thought of before. Um, and that's what I love doing with clients, especially those who might've been on this journey for a while, or even are just getting started is that, um, a lot of times diet culture just clouds our vision about ourselves and it, we assign so much judgment to our thoughts and behaviors that as soon as a thought about food comes up, there's automatically a judgment assigned to it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try and do in session is let's, let's bring out these thoughts about food. Let's bring out this diet mentality that you may hold and let's, let's really analyze it without assigning judgment to it. Um, cause we know that judgment is coming from diet culture. It's not coming from your, your true body of what is actually good for you. Um, so that's number one thing I'd always recommend working with someone if, if that's possible. Um, but then the second thing I think is really important with active individuals or not, um, is focusing on those first few principles. So, um, I think intuitive eating a lot of times gets wrongly interpreted as the hunger and fullness diet. Mm -hmm. And that is just listening to your hunger, stopping when you're full. Um, but there's a reason those principles come a little bit later. There's a reason ditching the diet mentality, I think is the very first principle. And it's Mm -hmm. just because we need to address that part first. If we Mm -hmm. still have some diet mentality holding on there, it's going to become the hunger fullness diet. And that's where I see a lot of people who are doing this on their own really get stuck. Um, so that is the number one place I usually start with clients is looking at that diet mentality. 
Um, and then also for athletes, you know, our active individuals, we know that being active sometimes blunts your hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also kind of mess with your fullness cues a little bit. So again, another reason why turning it into the hunger fullness diet is really problematic. Um, so again, that's where I'd re- recommend working with someone, but also, you know, remembering that gentle nutrition component, not so much from a specific food component, but more of just the fact that I need to respect my body and respecting my body means knowing that sometimes I give it food when it's not really hungry because I know as an athlete, I need to make sure I'm eating enough. That's like the number one thing I need to focus on. Um, so it's kind of different for everybody depending on their history, where to start. Um, but I think the one thing we can all agree on is ditching that diet mentality is really important. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad that you, that you brought up that sometimes respecting our body does mean feeding it, even if we aren't necessarily hungry. I actually, I just recorded a podcast the other day where I was talking a little bit about that myth of it just being, you know, oh, I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full because I know, um, and actually I was sharing this on social media maybe a week ago too, where I had a couple days where I just wasn't feeling all that great. I had had a smoothie in the morning that for some reason just didn't really sit well with me and I didn't really feel good but it had been five hours and Mm. I knew that even though my I didn't feel all that great I wasn't really hungry I knew that I was starting to feel like my body needed fuel and so I had to respect my body and give it some fuel and just you know eat in a way that eat something that felt good to me that I knew would feel good in my body and it might have been different than what I would have eaten otherwise but Mm. I had to respect my body in that and I think that that's that's so important especially when, especially when people are starting to become active or they're amping up their activity. Um, as athletes, I know when I went into marathon training last year, that was something where I realized, oh my gosh, I need to be eating more. And not because I was, you know, tracking anything, but because I knew that I was increasing my mileage, but my hunger wasn't increasing. And and I think that can be true in, in so many cases that, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is that diet mentality creeping in going, oh, it's that eat less and exercise more. Well, I'm exercising mm-hmm. more. And so, oh, look, I just naturally don't need to eat as much, but our bodies need fuel and it's so mm-hmm. important. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Yeah. So going into those of us who are athletes and like, I'm a very amateur athlete. When I say I'm an athlete, I love to run and I'm, you know, I'm in that marathon training sort of um, space right now. And I know that I have a handful of people that I, that I work with and friends who are also um, either marathoners or cyclists. So they consider themselves athletes at the amateur level. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband's actually a professional sailor. So technically he's a professional athlete, but they don't tend to, um, to need that sort of specific nutrition as somebody does who's in, you know, who's either an Olympic athlete or somebody um, who's marathon training or cycling or something like that. So mm-hmm. how do you recommend, because this is huge, especially I've heard getting to know other people who are, um, you know, who are marathoners, dealing with weight stigma and triggers in the world of sports. I know for me, I have heard people make comments about people in larger bodies who are, you know, training for races and and things like that. So how do you recommend dealing with that? Yeah. So I think this is a really hard question. Um, And I always want to start by, you know, anytime we talk about weight stigma and pressures of maybe being in a larger body, I think first and foremost, we need to recognize, we need to have a conversation about privilege, right? And that I know I don't have all the answers because I don't live in a larger body. I naturally live in a smaller body. And that's 
something that whenever I talk about this, I always have to have to point out is that I don't have all the answers. I just have my own experiences working with clients. And um, that's why, you know, in my sessions, I always want to hear from my clients and their own experiences, because I think that's where we can really get the most information is, you know, bringing all that out into the open is where a lot of healing comes. Um, but one of the things I talk about a lot of times is, you know, in session, we'll have conversations about weight stigma and just talking about for each person, how they experience that, um, how they, you know, experience conversations, maybe where people are talking about it, how they feel maybe stigmatized for their body size. And we'll, you know, we'll bring all that out, out in the open, talk about it. And one of the things I see really commonly is that you can really cognitively understand weight stigma, maybe just by reading books and listening to podcasts and doing research and maybe even hearing this is that you can cognitively understand, okay, weight stigma is wrong. It's not something that should happen. You know, people should not be stigmatized for their body size because all bodies are good bodies. There's nothing wrong with being a different body size. So I think a lot of people cognitively understand that. But applying that to yourself and actually putting that into practice is a whole different story. Um, So again, this is where I'd highly, highly recommend working with a professional because when it comes down to it, you can listen to all the podcasts you want. And I think that's great that there's so many podcasts out there and books and all these things, but you can do all that you want. But at the end of the day, if you don't know how to apply that to yourself, then it's not really going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think working with a professional is awesome just to really help, you know, ask those questions about how it applies to your life. You know, what, how do you experience that? Maybe there's some ways that you don't necessarily realize that, you know, we can kind of talk about in session and how it affects you personally. Um, and then also just recognizing how it either does or does not serve you. So just being really open and honest about ways you've experienced that growing up and how it is or isn't aligned with your values and what you actually want. So doing body image work is a really complex thing and it's really different Mm -hmm. for every single person. So it's hard to give like a one size fits all answer. (laughs) Um, but I think really that's where, where we need to go is that if you feel triggered, if you feel that, you know, these conversations are happening, Um, Just working with someone to really uncover your own body image story and work through that, I think, is so important. Yes. Yeah. I think it starts at each individual person coming to Mm -hmm. terms with um, with the stigma that's around us and the way, yeah, the way we feel about about our bodies. I know um, for so long I was so convinced that I had to be in a certain body or my body had to be a certain way in order to do the activities that I was doing. And I think so many of us struggle with that, especially those of us in in the world of sports and, and athletics. And so I think that's so important in actually getting that help and working around that. And it starts every person that works through that, you know, it, it creates that ripple effect. Yeah. 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 So on along the same lines, so those of us who do participate in athletic sports or who are athletes, whether on a personal or a professional level, how do we avoid this athlete diet culture? Or how, how would you recommend, I guess, responding to it when we hear mm-hmm. these, you know, recommendations for the things you have to do to be this certain type of athlete, whatever someone's athletic pursuit is? Mm-hmm. I think the first thing is that, and this is kind of just like a hard truth I talk about with my clients, is that we kind of can't avoid it. We can try and, you know, structure our environments to where we don't hear it as often, but avoiding it 100% probably means we're not going to be out in the sports world because right now where it is, mm-hmm. there's just so much stigma and there's so much judgment of body size and eating habits and all of that that it's really, really hard to ignore. 
So I don't necessarily approach it through the framework of let's see how we can avoid it and run from those conversations. I frame it from how can we lean into those conversations with our own boundaries and recognize what is really best for us and what isn't. So for each person, you know, that may look different for each person. So I talk a lot about boundaries. So, and that can look a lot of different ways. Maybe for some person that means, you know, if a friend is commenting on someone's eating habits and the fact that they've gained weight, maybe for you forming that boundary means calling that friend out and saying, hey, we don't have the right to judge this person. That's not helpful. This isn't helpful for me. Like, can we please stop this conversation? Maybe calling it out is really in best service to you. Um, maybe for you, and this is what I find most people fall into this category is, you know, maybe you're a type of person who doesn't necessarily want to call it out. Maybe you don't want to, you know, correct that person. Um, but I always frame it like having this internal boundary within yourself or just kind of having this thing like wrapped around you to where you say, okay, I can hear those comments, but they're going to bounce right off me. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to justify my eating habits. I don't have to justify my weight to anyone. But I also recognize based on my values that regardless of whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, if it's not helpful to you, then let's figure out a way to not let that come in and you know internalize that. So forming those boundaries, I think, is really, really important. Um, but then also just learning your own unique triggers. So again, we're not necessarily avoiding athlete diet culture because I think it's hard to avoid completely. Yes. Um, but recognizing for you what is really problematic. So maybe for you, it's wearing a certain uniform or wearing certain like shorts or a tank top or something like that. Just whenever you put that on, it's just associated with feeling uncomfortable in my body. Maybe it's really tight on your body or maybe it's loose or there's some something about it, maybe the fabric, something about it doesn't make you feel great in your body, kind of causes you to hyper focus on your body. So let's, let's find something else. Let's find something that's more helpful that's not going to draw all those negative attention or negative feelings about your body. Um, maybe it's just being around a certain person. Maybe it's going to a certain race where they push dieting or you know talk about dieting or eating certain foods. Maybe it's going to a certain gym. Maybe it's running with a certain friend. You know, All of these different things can be triggers to each person. So um, I think that's, that's where it's really on this individual level is recognizing your own triggers, calling them out, and forming those boundaries for yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so important to to recognize those triggers and then remove those obstacles to mm -hmm. like to living and eating in a way that is unique to us and works only for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I think that's where too, you know, a lot of times when we think about like ditching this, we think of it as like huge elusive concept mm -hmm. and it feels like impossible to tackle. But if we can think of those small individual triggers for us, I think that's where we yeah. can really start. I love the example of the the clothes that you're wearing or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever outfit you're wearing to, to work out in. Because I think that that is so important and that's something we don't think about. I think, you know, so often we just put on whatever to go and do whatever our activity is. But if it's not making us feel good and if we're focusing on that, then it's not benefiting us in any way. It's not benefiting us yeah. in our sport. It's not, you know, creating a positive experience doing that activity. Um, and it's it's not helping us in in really, truly tuning into what is really working for us. So mm -hmm. yeah, I love that example. That's great. Oh. So switching gears a little bit. So in terms of eating for performance, which is such a big topic in the world of athletics, because there's so much noise, there's so much diet culture like in this, 
what are your what are your tips for eating for performance in an intuitive way like gentle nutrition for athletes because i know for mm-hmm. myself even even figuring out what like and i know this is very individual but like what do i eat before i go for a run without all of that you know that noise of diet culture in my head and you know i've gotten to a point in my own life where i can figure that out for myself so what are your recommendations for you know for people who are looking to eat for a performance but want to do that in an intuitive way? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the number one thing I always say to any athletes, and this is what I always look for when I'm working with a person, is making sure they're just eating enough across the board. Mm-hmm. So this is where a lot of times I think all of us can get in this trap of focusing so much on like specific foods or specific timing and all of those like really like nitty-gritty details before we like zoom out in the big picture and think, okay, are you getting enough? Because if you're not getting enough, it doesn't matter what specific foods we're going to eat because our bodies are going to use that in whatever way they can to make sure we have enough energy. So that's where, again, I always say work with a dietitian, work with somebody who's been clinically trained in calculating energy needs. And this is where it kind of drifts away from intuitive eating a little bit, but I still think it's really in line is that you know, dietitians are specifically trained in developing nutrition prescriptions and calculating exact energy needs. And this is where, honestly, I get so many angry messages on social media when I talk about eating enough and people are like, well, what does eating enough mean? Like, I can just give some general answer. It's like, there's no way I could give a general answer. Yeah. The reason I'm a dietitian is because I've been trained in calculating those things. So, mm-hmm. That's where I always say, you know, work with someone. If you can just get one session to find out, okay, what is enough for me? Yeah. Because I think that's where it's really hard is that we can't necessarily trust our hunger and fullness all the time when we're working out. So establishing that enough level, I think, is number one crucial thing. That's always the first thing I do with clients who are athletes is let's find out what your enough level is, and then we can talk about other things. So once you do that, once you have that level, you've worked with the dietitian to establish, here's my, here's my happy amount of energy which is a range. It's not like a set point number. It's a range mm-hmm. that we, we go back and forth in. Um, that's where we can start to then, once we've really you know solidified ourselves in that, thinking more about like pre and post workout nutrition. Um, so this is where I love talking about this with athletes is because think about like carbohydrates. So we have like complex and simple carbohydrates, which they're not really called that anymore. That's just kind of how most of us use those. Mm-hmm. Um, so think of like a piece of wheat bread versus just pure sugar. Most of us are going to say that wheat bread is more nutritious and that's the better choice. So most of us don't even think about anything else. We just think wheat bread is better. Sugar is bad. We have these black and white categories. Always choose a wheat bread, never choose a sugar, right? Whereas with sports nutrition, this is where I say, okay, if we're thinking about pre-workout, maybe you have 30 minutes before you're about to work out. Let's talk a little bit about metabolism. So this is where I love being a dietitian because we can talk about (laughs) metabolism and digestion and all that kind of stuff, that sciencey stuff. Um, So I'll kind of walk them through, you know, here's what happens in your body when you're digesting it. Because I find a lot of athletes, you know, view that knowledge as power and I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll talk about, you know, here's how long it takes your body to digest this, this piece of wheat bread and here's how it's moving through your system and here's how when you exercise, we know that blood is being shunted away from the gut to our legs, to our arms, to our lungs, all of those things that are it's using because our gut doesn't need that energy. So if it's going to take us hours to digest this, we're not sending a ton of blood, blood flow to our gut to really you know, work on that digestion. We're not going to get the energy out of it in those 30 minutes. You know, We're working out in 30 minutes, so our body hasn't even digested it by that point yet. 
we've not, you know, really gotten the full benefit of eating that. And we're probably going to have some digestive issues because we've packed our gut with fiber and then we can't process it. Right. So this is where there's that nuance in nutrition where sugar, it's going to get absorbed within 15 minutes. We talk about the pathway. It's absorbed into the bloodstream really quickly. doesn't have to go through all these digestive processes. There's no fiber in it. So our body gets that quick energy right when it needs it. So this is what I usually talk about with athletes is saying, you know, let's think about this nutrition in a gentle way, but also an evidence-based way. Like let's crowd out those diet culture things that are telling us you have to eat these certain foods because sports nutrition is not diet culture. And that's what most Mm -hmm. of us use sports nutrition as how much food can we cut out? We need to cut out the bad foods because they're inflammatory or like all of this is like garbage. Um, and really just getting down to like, what is actually happening into happening in our body metabolically and let's use that for our power. Yes. Oh, I love that. And you are totally speaking to me because I love all of the science behind that (laughs) and yes, behind metabolism and, uh, and digestion and how all that works. So I love that. Thank you for clearing that up because I, I do think that sometimes, as you know, athletes and active individuals who are coming into the space of ditching the diet mentality and um, coming to this place of intuitive eating, we sometimes feel like we have to ignore the science, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? So it is important to work with somebody who can help us. I love that you went over just simply eating enough because like you said, those hunger and fullness cues might be blunted. They might be off. And so eating enough is, I mean, I know that I noticed when I was training for the last marathon I did and days where I just didn't eat enough, how awful I felt the next day training, mm-hmm. um, because I had never trained for something that long. I'd done a lot of half marathons. I hadn't done a full marathon. Um, so that's just, you know, that's personal and I'm not a high level athlete. And I think that so many people, especially athletes are running on empty or not enough and just getting that baseline down and working with somebody who can do that and who can actually create that baseline for us from a, you know, and not, um, not necessarily feeling like we have to take that into our own hands just because we are eating intuitively and tuning into our bodies. We can eat intuitively and tune into our bodies, but work with a professional who's like, this is the amount that your body needs and you need to get this minimum Mm -hmm. when you are, you know, training at this intensity because it's not good for our bodies to not get enough and it's not going to be good for our performance. And then breaking it down into the science of what is actually going to be effective in your body. So I think Mm -hmm. I just reiterated, you know, what you said, but no, that was so, so helpful. I think that, um, the athletes listening are going to find that, especially those who are trying to find more of an intuitive place or who who are coming into this intuitive eating space and ditching that, um, what the diet world tells us and, and separating sports nutrition from the diet mentality. And they're going to find that so, so helpful. So the last thing I wanted to chat about a little bit, because I just, I know how important this is, is can you share more about the importance of recovery from either exercise or, you know, especially as an athlete? So I encounter this with women. I work with a lot. They can't get the, past the idea of more isn't better. Um, And I think that working hard or training out and they, what they think is that working hard or training every single day is going to make them fitter or stronger or perform better. Um, And I think some of this is that diet mentality and some Some of it is just the desire to be a better athlete. So can you debunk this a little bit and talk a little bit about how important that is? Yeah. So I love talking about recovery because that's where nutrition comes in. You know, this is where all of our work comes in is that 
if we think about this through the framework of just body respect, treating our body with care is that, and again, this goes back to what we were talking about, what you're using exercise for. You know, if you're using exercise just to continually tear your body down, it's eventually going to get into a hole. So I kind of draw a graph with my clients, and I know it's kind of hard to do it here, but thinking about, you know, we start from one place and then we train, so we kind of go down the slope, right? And basically what's happening in our body is that we're breaking it down. So we're having these little micro tears in our muscles, we're working our lungs, we're working everything in our body, we're, we're adding that stress to our body. And that stress in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it can be a really adaptive stress is going through that when you're exercising, but we have to build that, we have to build it back up. So if we think of our little graph, we kind of come down and then we have to come back up. So if we just, you know, maybe we go for a really long run and then we're worried about food and we don't get much sleep, so we don't really eat much and then we sleep only a couple hours and then we think, you know, okay, I have to get up in the early to go lift or do whatever. You know, if, if you didn't give your body time to kind of dig itself out of that hole, so kind of come back up to this place where it's, it's in a good place again, it's recovered from that training that you've just given it, is that it's just going to dig deeper into that hole. And then if you do that again and you never give your body rest, it's going to dig deeper into that hole. And what can happen gradually is that maybe your performance does get a little bit better in the short term. So maybe you're really training really hard and maybe maybe you do notice that you you run okay in a race. And that's, that's completely normal. Um, but this is something a lot of professional athletes will do and talk about too is that they're not training at the highest level year round. Because it's mm -hmm. not sustainable. You can't train all day, every day, year round because your body has to recover. It has to bring itself out of that hole or else you're either going to get super burned out, you're going to get overtrained, you're going to get an injury, you're going to get illness, your immune system's going to be shot, your hormonal health is going to be in the tank. You know, all of these things that will happen to our body when it's not healed. So this is where it's really important, you know, every single time you're training, and that's where nutrition comes in. That's where that eating enough principle comes in. That's where getting things like sleep, managing stress, um, having like massage or injury prevention or anything like that is super, super important. That's where I'm not the expert in that, so other people can talk <laughs> more about those sides. But just from a nutrition perspective, you know, recovery is essential for getting those performance gains so we don't end up in a hole. And that, you know, every single time we recover and recover a little bit better than we did before, that's what you see those improvements. So you kind of start from one place, you go down a little bit, and then you come back up even stronger. So um, recovery is just a super, super important uh, important part of healing from training and adapting to training. Yes, I love that example of digging yourself into the hole or, build, or building yourself back up. Yes, that is <laughs> so important. Thank you so much yeah. for um, for going through that for for my listeners. So I have three final fun little questions I like to ask everyone I have come on the podcast. Um, and because I am a foodie, like I told you before we, we started recording, I was, a, I was a personal chef for a while, and I want to present food as a means of nourishment, joy, and satisfaction, as well as fuel. I ask these three questions to all of my guests at the end of our at the end of our podcast. So what is your, Megan's, personal favorite thing to cook? Oh, gosh. This is a hard question. Um, 
I'll say my most recent one. I feel like I get on these like trends of like things I really love cooking and then I kind of fall off and find new things. But <laughs> most recently I've been making tamales, which are just, oh, just so yum. good and they're so fun to make. So that's probably my most recent favorite thing to cook. <laughs> that's really fun. I love yeah. tamales. It has been a long time since I've made them too. So yeah. a fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is your favorite thing then to order or have someone else cook for you? Mm. Oh man, these are hard questions. <laughs> um, gosh, I do most of the cooking in our house. So I'll say that I don't have things cooked for me a ton because I'm definitely the chef of the house. <laughs> like but, in my house too. <laughs> yes. Um, probably going out just like some type of pasta. Mm. I really love, and I know that's like so simple, but I just, I really love pasta. <laughs> it's good. It's good when somebody else is making it for you. Yeah. Sure. Anything's yeah. good when someone else makes it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one, we talk a lot about what I like calling finding your beautiful balance. So going beyond obsessing over food and exercise for that matter and finding nourishment and pleasure in food and in life. So what does your beautiful balance mean to you? Mm, I love this question. Um, I think one of the things a lot of people think just knowing like my nature of work is they think I exercise a ton <laughs> and I can tell you that I don't, you know, I'm, I'm really upfront with that, that I love exercise. But for me, going back to those values, it's not something that I do, you know, every day I do it a couple times a week. If that, some days I don't even at all. So, um, I think my balance is definitely or beautiful balance, um, is, you know, at one place in my life, kind of, kind of like you were saying is that I exercise a ton every single day, even multiple times a day. And now my beautiful balance is just exercising when I want, not applying any judgment to it. If I exercise every day one week versus not at all for a month, I think that's that's completely normal and completely balanced for me. Ah, that's awesome. And what an awesome way to end with that, that balance perspective too. Because I, I do think that a lot of... A lot of people get into this place of feeling like they have to fit into a certain, like, I have to exercise this many days a week, or even, especially for, for athletes or for those who want to, who want to pursue living an active life. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, before we go, can you just share where my listeners can find you if they want to connect with you more? Yeah. So my website is runholenutrition.com. Um, so that's just where my whole landing page for my business is. And then on social media, I pretty much just use Instagram. I don't really use a ton of other social media. Um, I'm at runhole.nutrition. So you can find me there. I work with clients in Lexington. If anybody listening here is in Lexington, um, and then also, also all over the country. So occasionally run various groups on intuitive eating. We have one coming up here soon called nourish with intuition. Um, so if anyone's interested in that, that can all be found on my website or social media. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I can say I found you initially on Instagram and you have such a great account. And I love some of the or I love all of your posts, but I love some of the (laughs) posts you put up where you have like comparisons of like, you know, the diet mentality versus what is actually balanced. And so, yeah, so I'm going to put all of those links in um, in the show notes for my listeners. Thank you so much for being on and sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. What an incredible interview with Megan. I was so grateful and excited to have her on and sharing with you about body positivity and weight neutrality in the world of sports with sports nutrition, with athletes and exercisers in general, because I think it's an area that is not talked about enough, especially those of us who consider ourselves, you know, athletes in in some way, shape or form. I am certainly not a professional 
professional by any means, and I know a lot of my listeners are not, but I know that I have listeners who are passionate about fitness and about exercise and about whatever sport they're interested in, but want to do it in a way that is balanced without feeling like they need to eat a certain way or look a certain way to be the active mama or woman that they are. So I am so grateful to have had her on and I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you again, as always, for listening. You can find me at HealthyMamaChris.com or on Instagram and Facebook at HealthyMamaChris. And if you loved this podcast, I would so appreciate if you gave it a star review and a rating. Every review, rating, and subscribe helps this podcast be seen and heard by more moms that need to hear this message. Have a beautiful day, friends.